Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we get to dive into the world of payments and processors, the day of peas. To discuss this, I am joined by our special guest speaker, Joe Campagna, sometimes also known as the Duke of Payments and Processors. So I just want to make sure that I let everyone know that Joe also is a payments consultant here at AmericanEagle.com. Not just the Duke of it, but beforehand we had a lot of fun talking about it, so I just had to introduce him as the Duke. Anyways, Joe, welcome to the studio today. I'm excited for our conversation. Thank you, Tim. Happy to be here. You know, my taking away from my royal duties. <laughs> well, I mean, with payments, I mean, it's all about kings and taxes, right? I mean, let's 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 dive right into this. So what I want to start with today, Joe, is just an introduction to payments and processors. Ideally, everyone in the field that's listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube knows about this because it's pretty relevant in today's digital experience. But why don't you just give us a little bit of a brief background about how we at AmericanEagle.com come into the conversation with our clients and prospects about payments and processors and, and why it's such an important area. So obviously, when we build a site, the goal is to take money for the products or you know is services that we're selling. And it's helping the clients do that the most efficient way possible. Not only get their money, but to then to mitigate the costs that are involved in that. And it's really working with them to try and understand that. And, and for me, it's trying to find that perfect process and then putting that into action through practicality with processors and gateways and going through all of the inside baseball that goes around payments in general. And, and that can be not only credit card and debit, it can be ACH. We've had questions on crypto. So however they want to take some form of, you know, knowable currency, how do we get there with with their solution that works for them? So you mentioned inside baseball, and I think it's very true because there's a lot that comes into play when it comes to selecting a payments processor and just the different aspects of just transactional elements when it comes to collecting money for goods and services. And uh, I, I'll unpack later with you crypto because I do think that's an important conversation to have. But let's just start with what's important to consider on an annual basis. Again, assuming that the majority of people who are running an e-commerce site have gone through this process before. Sometimes it might be more of a set it and forget it type of moment, uh, or maybe they are doing an annual checkup. What's kind of your recommendation of how often and what should you look for on a regular basis when it comes to your, your payments and processor? I think the biggest thing to, to know is that it's a fluid environment. It's constantly changing and it's changing from a couple different places. It's changing from the rules that the card brands, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, Amex put into place. Twice a year, they will change how certain transactions are working. They'll introduce new pricing guidelines and that sort of thing. And those can be very small effects to to massive ripples, um, you know, to, to how it impacts. But to know that they change twice a year is important because you want to be abreast of that so that when something starts to percolate in February or March and it goes active in April, we're on top of it and we're not being reactionary. We're, we're in, you know, ahead of the curve, hopefully. Now, granted, sometimes they, you know, will, will surprise us in the last minute and we don't always be able to catch it or they'll pull something back um, because of, you know, whatever reason. But it's knowing that Visa, MasterCard, Amex and Discover change and make the rules twice a year. The other part of it is really understanding where the government in input comes in. And that can be along the lines of banking and the know your customer rules and that sort of stuff of what their expectations are when it comes to making transactions. So that's a little bit more subtle. You know, you don't have to, you're going to probably know about that, 
you know, through just the general news, but the, the Visa MasterCard rules, it can be a little bit more slippery. So I think knowing that that's going to happen, you can't just set it and forget. You're going to forget. It's almost like these, the people who will choose the, the flat cost processing. And it's like, that's nice and it's easy and it's understandable. But no one goes into a shoe store and goes, I like those fancy ones that everybody's wearing. Just give me any size that you have. Because that's not how shoes work. And that's not how anybody's business works. It's not one size fits all. So you have to ask yourself, how is that possible? And does it really work for my business? So it's, it's, it's that aspect of pricing that it's very dynamic. It's very unique to what your business may be. And your business is different than all of the others. Another big important one is I think you've got to find somebody who's there and is going to take your call. Now, that sounds super basic and very easy. But, you know, we hear from a lot of people where they're like, well, we really wanted to do this, but, you know, we couldn't get a hold of anyone or we called support and they're like, you got to talk to so-and-so. Having someone that you can really connect with knows your business and understands what you're trying to achieve, not only in your website, but your day-to-day is going to save you immense time. And then hopefully they're going to price you correctly and not lead you down the wrong path is the big thing. Nice. So a couple times a year, things are changing. Yep. So you need to really find as a uh, business, a trusted advisor or an SME, right? A subject matter expert like yourself who can come alongside, work with your team and give you the perception of what's happening in the industry. Mm -hmm. So talk about typical when you go through that review process. What are you looking for? Uh, What ways are you helping organizations uh, make the decision of if they're staying with same or if they're really looking for new Talk us through an example there. Well, I think the big thing for me is like I talked about in the process is understanding, right? We've built this site or we've built this process. Why did we do it this way? Mm-hmm. Is it an internal accounting reason? Is it, you know, Bill who used to work with us set it up this way and we've just never changed it. It's like, well, when did Bill leave? Six years ago. Mm-hmm. Might be time for a refresh. It's a very common scenario. Too. <laughs> it's more than you would think. So it's, it's understanding really why are we doing it the way we are today? And then I asked the question, if you could do it perfectly and make it easier for you, what does that look like? And you start to really uncover, well, it would be nice if I had that drawer full of credit card numbers and I could actually put it into the computer and not have to like enter them every month. And it's like, okay, well, there's a couple of things to unpack here. That's incredibly insecure. It's against the rules. And yes, there's a way where we can simply put that into the computer and have all of that tokenized and secure and, and still have all the data we need, but be able to do that quicker. So it's understanding, you know, where they want to go with the process. And then the last thing I look at is, okay, from that, based on how they're being priced, is there something they're doing that's causing the prices to go up, the prices Mm -hmm. to potentially be low where they should be? It all depends. But everybody always can look at it and go, I can price you better. But if you want to process a certain way, that might not matter, you know, And, and it's helping the clients understand that, listen, if you have to have it done this way, it's going to cost you more money. And if they understand that and they're accepting of it, great. But then they can also know that if we maybe make a few small changes, which is going to change process, it's going to save us a little bit of money. Is it worth it? And for some clients, it is. And for others, it isn't. Um, but it's really taking that holistic approach of opening that kimono. What, what is the process? Why are we doing it this way? And, and what is the best way? And then, you know, how is the cost that you're paying on a monthly basis affected by that? Yeah, that's great. So when we think about all the different aspects of payments, I think Mm -hmm. I want to kind of branch off. You mentioned crypto earlier. I'm not there yet. So just keep that in mind. Okay. But let's talk a little bit about the different ways that payments have grown over the years. And I really want to dig into 
buy now, pay later situations, BNPL for all the acronym fiends out there who want to keep track because uh, I'll probably slip back into my acronym mode here. But this really became prevalent probably about how well I mean, it, it existed before right. with layaway and everything. Right? right. And then it came into the digital commerce game, I would say pretty much about four or five years ago, it started growing. And I would say definitely during the pandemic, you saw a, a bigger uptick and more companies who started offering that solution. What's your take on BNPL? And is it something that they should always have as an option or not? It's interesting. Like I don't use it. It's not my way of doing things. So it's definitely something where I have to think, okay, why would a client do this? And it did become much more useful and user-friendly and prevalent during COVID. People are at home. Everybody's shopping online because they got nothing else to do. They've watched every show. And they're like, wait, I can get this pair of jeans for one-fourth of the price this month and just pay it off and I've got all this money coming in? So that that really stoked the fire, right? It began where we were at. And then when they went back to the store, they were able to go, holy cow, I can do this in the store too? Mm -hmm. let's go. Like it was like buckle up and ride. So I think that that's been good to, to help the merchants and the businesses kind of not lose sales. But, and there's a huge but here, I think the reckoning or the, the bill is going to get paid in a few ways. They're micro loans. There's absolutely very little to no oversight, mm -hmm. at least right now, to know if I go in and buy my jeans and I do the buy now, pay later, how does the merchant know that this isn't the thousandth pair or the 50th thing I've done in the last two weeks? Yeah. And, and that's really where the dangers are going to come. And, and this is where we talked earlier, the things that you know we should be aware of, the government doesn't really like that. And they want to make sure that consumers are protected against themselves yeah. a little bit. And that's part of it. And it's also understanding, you know, where is this being used? It's a lot of them are being used. You know, it's it's increasing spending by one hundred and thirty dollars on average. But, you know, 30 percent of the users are consistent users. It's not a the people who are using it are using it a lot of the time and, and they tend to be in lower middle income earners. So, you know, then they're having issues financially down the line that can that can cause a little bit of angst. Um, there's a lot of links to overdraft fees and credit card stuff and that sort of thing. But, you know, we're seeing that the heavy users are using it. So, like, I, I read the stat and it was very interesting. Holiday spending, the value of transactions rose by 87%, but the number of transactions rose 13%. So we're not seeing a ton more, but we're seeing a lot more volume being done. And I think as a, as a merchant, you don't want to discount this, but I think you got to be aware that where eventually could this fall off? Like if we don't see the payments being done, is this going to hurt mm -hmm. us? Is the government going to step in? And, and what company do I use? So there was some stuff that was recently um, published where it showed that Klarna, which we all know, we all hear Klarna is like, well, under 250, they're, they're killing it. But in that 250 to 3000 range, it's a firm. So there's mm -hmm. two different companies going at this. Now with firm, you can say, all right, well, why are they so big? Why are they, do how did they get there? They do Peloton. Yeah. And we all know that everybody bought their Peloton and they now use it as a probably a laundry rack. Mm. Um, they got in early with Casper mattresses, too. I actually tested it with them. OK. And so uh, that's where my first BNPL experience was. I was more just curious and I had to buy four mattresses all at one time. Uh, different story, different day, different podcast. But no, four children as they grew, I had to get mattresses. So I just said, you know what, just go all in. But then the BNPL. Like, oh, I can have a much lower cost, 
zero percent didn't have to worry about it and i just went into monthly and i think the other reason i was comfortable with it is bnpl has actually been there as i was thinking about this it's been there a lot longer than most of us think Mm -hmm. just in different formats cell phones great example of a high price item that they would get you into a a renewal program with a two-year plan that you would then pay monthly for the cost of that phone and you'd own it at the end of the two years but then they get you to trade up Right. And you'd start the payments all over again. So pretty much majority of anyone for the past 10 years has probably been in a BNPL situation, just not labeled that way right. in that sense. Right. So it is a different aspect of what Verizon, AT&T and everyone's doing, but similar to the model of all the subscription movement uh, that's been happening with dig- you know, digital streaming. It's just everyone's getting used to having to pay monthly, which sucks. Right. But and it's all divided. It'll all come back together, just like you know, uh, cable media did. But with a firm, I think one interesting thing, and and you mentioned a firm and Klarna. There's some big players out there. Apple recently just announced that they're now offering the buy now pay later as well with mm-hmm. Apple Pay Later. So Apple, a major tech player, moving into it just like they did with the Apple Card with Goldman Sachs. It's interesting to see that they're also pushing down the same path. Because usually they're not going to go into something if they're not serious about it. So uh, the stats I saw from a fintech trends report is that 2022 uh, was going to be a really big year for BNPL like we've been seeing. And that it's expected to top $1 trillion in annual gross merchandise volume by 2025. Right. So it's just an incredible growth area. So as an online merchant, when do you... And you talked a little bit about the right fit, right, in the dollar ranges of items and everything. But... When do you notice that your services, or actually this is more product with BNPL, but when is that an appropriate point to say, hey, I need to add this? It's part of the trend that's happening. It's an expectation by consumers. You know, how how soon should people be evaluating this? I think think it's something where there's no reason you shouldn't add it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of understanding how will this fit into our portfolio of accounts receivables and that sort of thing. You know, it's and what is the customer we're going after? You know, are, are, are we expecting somebody to come and buy, you know, a high end item luxury good on this? Or is it more of a churn and burn on the retail side of, you know, lower cost items? So I think it's it should always be an option. It should always be there to think about. But then it's the question of, all right, well, you know, how are we going to do this? Where is the liability going to be? Is that on our end? Is it on a firm or Klarna's? Like, where are these at? And how, how long are the terms? You know, like you talked about for the cell phone, it goes for a year or two years. And there's a lot of contract paperwork there. You know, it's the ones I think in the retail setting that make me the most nervous where you walk up, you swipe and they're like, hey, would you like to do four easy mm-hmm. payments? And you're like, yes, I would. Mm-hmm. You hit one button and within like 30 seconds, all of a sudden you've made a micro loan. Yeah. And I don't think people quite, they're like, oh, this is great. And then, but the question is, is in 30 days when that second one comes in, are they realizing that this is, you know, being paid or not? And yeah. how often are they doing it? I think online, it's a little bit easier. And I think that's kind of, you know, easier for us because most people, when they're doing that, you're kind of taking a moment and sitting there. You're not mm-hmm. fighting with your kids, potentially, um, you know, over the candy that they should be putting down while you're trying to check out and maybe yeah. hitting a wrong button. But no, I think it's it's very important. It's here to stay. You said, you know, like you said, Apple is doing it. The larger payment processors who are doing the yes, no, there's money and doing the interchange transactions are starting to get into it. So they didn't jump into it right away, but they realize that there's money to be made. They realize this is a service they need to offer. And why are they farming it out to Klarna and Affirm when they can do it? 
And I think they're coming from a, and I would include Apple in this, a very strong financial footing. They're not really having to raise investor funds yeah. to do this. Whereas, you know, the others are, others are yeah. and you have to be profitable. They're already profitable companies. They're willing to make a loan to mm -hmm. you, no problem. Yeah. So I think it's here. I think it's a matter of trying to figure out how does this fit best? But I, I wouldn't say don't do it. I just, mm -hmm. how do we want to structure this? Yeah. What is our expectation? And then monitor it probably on a quarterly basis, if not monthly, to make sure you know, that this is behaving the way we want and our financial spreadsheet is going to stay healthy the way we expect it to. Yeah. And what's interesting too is it is more popular. I think that allows for a little bit of discussion around the fraud of BNPL and the different fraud types. So uh, kind of two main ones to highlight would just be account takeover, ATO, again, acronyms, uh, fraud. And this is the most popular form of fraud for buy now, pay later, which is where fraudster takes over an existing BMPL account and they just make unauthorized purchases with it. So secure your passwords, do all the right aspect of just security measures that you can to protect your accounts and check them regularly. I think just like credit card fraud, BNPL fraud is going to be a similar case where people will just come in and look to, hey, they got access. I'm going to go buy a big purchase item, ship it somewhere, or even small ones, and they get that going through. And the other one is new account fraud. And I think it's just even more prevalent in today's digital age of just the personal information and all of the data breaches that are out there that are happening um, and your personal information is obtained. Those microloans are so easy to obtain, like you were talking yep. about. It's a, a button to touch and you've suddenly got a microloan not going through all that paperwork fully is that new account creation and, and fraud is going to come through for BMPL accounts because, again, they're just setting up that monthly payment with that information and they're not collecting immediately and not having that protection of a credit card company that says, hey, it's over this dollar amount. I'm going to hold that transaction until I get confirmation from the account owner. So I think those are just two things to really watch out for when it comes to the BNPL model. Any other thoughts on BNPL? No, I, I agree with you completely. I think you know, the whole fraud aspect of it, and that hasn't reared its head enough, but I think, as we all know, if there's a better mousetrap, then they will find mm -hmm. a way. And we see it a lot online, but as you start to see companies or individuals, I shouldn't say companies, individuals figure out how to play this game, it'll get done. And then as the merchant or the company with the product, you know, you're going to get one fourth of the payment and then potentially lose the product and the future payment. So it's it's that part of it, you know, where you want to keep an eye on how does that work? But I, I think, you know, thankfully, knock on wood, we haven't seen a huge spike in it, but it wouldn't be something that, you know, if it, if we do this in six months, we have this discussion. It's like, so Joe, tell me more about BNPL. And you're <laughs> like, well, there's a method fraud problem going yeah. on now from the Christmas of 2022. That wouldn't shock me because mm -hmm. we deal with fraud all the time. Yeah. No, absolutely. Fraud is just unfortunately out there. And uh, like you said, people will always find a way mm -hmm. for some reason. Uh, they have nothing better to do. So let's move into a little bit of just because we, we just went through it a week and a half ago. But BFCM, again, acronym, let's explain it. Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Let's talk about payments and BFCM shopping. So what are some exciting uh, aspects of Lessons learned from the past, uh, what we are looking forward to in the future when it comes to how payments work on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and actually the whole Cyber Week now. It seems to be like October <laughs> is now the Cyber Month for BFCM. So it's all kind of, I don't know, there's Black Friday sales from Best Buy happening in Ju June, July. So 
it's pretty much all year long, it seems at times. But I, really, the, so the, many, yeah. the surge that happened, I mean, even my wife and I, it was hilarious. There was this picture. I talk about her on every show, so I have to make sure I include this. I'll have to try and find that picture. Maybe she'll shoot me. But anyways, uh, there was a, yeah, you're right, I though. think like our to- own Amazon truck delivered after Cyber Monday. Like just just tower of boxes. The boys go, um, Mom, there are a lot of boxes outside. <laughs> I think the thing that's amazing is, you know, there used to be these call to actions on email. You're like, hey, get on this sale. It's mm-hmm. not it's once a year. And you're like, eh, they'll have another one on Tuesday. Exactly. There'll be another one on <laughs> Wednesday. You're like, oh, my God, like it's never ending. Mm-hmm. And then you get the text that goes to it. And you're like, I don't remember giving them this. And then yeah. it's like it's just nonstop. But at the same time, I feel like we get so many that you also feel like the sale will always be there. Yeah. There will always be a code that will get me 20 to 30 percent mm-hmm. off. Why isn't that the price? Yeah. Um, but no, so it's it's definitely Americans in general love to shop. Mm-hmm. We're very good at it. <laughs> and, you know, Cyber Monday this year set a record 11.3 billion in sales. And that is a almost 6% growth over last year. Wow. So if inflation is rampant and the world is coming to an end and we can't afford mm-hmm. anything, we still spent 6% more than last year when everybody was flush with cash. Yeah. Do you so, think it's because most people are working from home now on Mondays? No, I mean, I'm just <laughs> there. There, there has been some statistics I've seen in the past about the amount of internet traffic to Amazon and other sites on Cyber Monday of the uh, just drop in productivity that happens. The other is also on uh, certain sporting event. I was going to uh, say it days. used to be yeah. it used to be March Madness weekend. Yep. The oh, first yeah. weekend was always the worst, mm-hmm. and now it just seems like Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday at 1030 <laughs> when somebody needs that second cup of coffee is now the new worst yeah, time yeah. to get anything done. Um, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I think the the, the ability to shop anywhere at any time from any human device, mm-hmm. it seems, can happen. I mean, you don't even need a device. You can be like, Alexa, order soap and soap yeah. arrives. Wait, wait, Alexa, don't order that soap. Yeah, uh, sorry. Do we, just, do we, yeah. Uh, yeah. American Actually, Eagle. we'll do that in video calls to people. If I know they have Alexa in their home, there's one colleague that I would say, Alexa, turn off the lights. And all their office lights would turn off. And it was just hilarious. It was great. That's pretty good. I need so to remember You got to remember that one. I yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> just just even know people are like, if they're on FaceTime, just do it. Oh, yeah. But it, I think, yeah, the, the amount that we're spending and right around now, it's ramping it up. It's getting near the end of the year. But then you know that there's going to be the sales in, in January. So mm-hmm. the presence of being online and, and, and I think touting it correctly is important. But then it comes down to the preparedness for, for I'm going to say, battle. Because that's really what you're waging here. You're trying to figure out what's the best way to do this to not only have the product that we used to think was going to take months to get to us. And we can kind of, in the before times, you know, it used to just arrive in days. Now we can get there. So it's being prepared for that. And that's making sure your site's up to date, make sure your your payments are, are locked in. You've got all of your fraud filters ready to go and everything is geared for that. And I think it's not only for the shopping, but it's also for, I'm going to throw a curveball at you for Giving Tuesday. Because mm, there's yeah. a lot of them, you know, a lot of charities will be like, hey, that's coming. And you're like, yeah, we should talk about this in August. Mm-hmm. But like we do with all of our other clients, like, you know, we, we put things into freezes and we hold it knowing that this is the time of year. So it's just being prepared. If you know that cyclically there's a time of year in your business that is just the busiest, you don't prepare for it two weeks before. You want to make sure that you're ready for it months yeah. into advance. Um, and I think that's that's a huge part of it. Um, payments is a small piece of that, but that's the part where if all of a sudden people can't give you their money, it comes to a grinding halt. All the other preparations that you made. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Joe, let's talk a little bit about the business side of okay. payments. And 
talk a little bit about why changing the pro- payment processor you work with and, and just some advantages you have as a business with that or adding new features um, that you might not be offering yet today. But let's get a little bit nitty gritty and let's what's the average time for swapping payment processors now? I just it's such an integral part of most online store fronts, right, that it's not just this take it out, put a new one in and you're you're, you're hunky dory set and ready to go. Uh, what's more of that average time in, in your experience for swapping out a payment processor? I, I hate to dodge it and say it varies, but like if you're pretty vanilla, straight down the middle, we're just doing, you know, retail-esque mm-hmm. online payments or taking a payment online. I'd say, you know, you got to get the account open and all that three to four weeks at the most. Mm-hmm. It should If we're not trying to do anything special, if you want yeah. special it can take a little longer. The and special is the French vanilla? Special is the French vanilla. Okay. The, the, the Tahitian, Ooh, the Madagascar. Oh, yes. Okay. You know, the double cream mm-hmm. vanilla. Um, that that can add a little bit more time. And usually if you're doing that and you have that trusted SME, mm-hmm. that, you know, partner. The Duke. The Duke. If you have a Duke on your side, um, then they'll be able to help you understand that this isn't going to be three to four weeks. This mm-hmm. is going to be two months. And this is why. Yeah. Like there should never be, I think in any relationship you have as a business owner or just in general, there should be no surprises. You know, if somebody is there and they're going to be a partner for the long term, they should be able to really articulate what it's going to take and why it's going to take time. Because everybody's going to get frustrated if they expect it to be a month and you're two mm-hmm. months in, but that was really going to be the norm anyway. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, three to four weeks, you got to get an account open. You got to get through underwriting. You got to, mm-hmm. you know, have somebody help you with that. Then you get the account up. Then you got to get it integrated, tested, make sure it's good. Your your velocity is all right with, you know, testing and everything else. And then you can go live. So yeah, I think three to four weeks is safe. I think if you're, if you're going to get really into the weeds, it can be, you know, two months, you know, it depends, but then you want it it's not, once it's done, you want to then manage it for at least a month or two to make sure that it's processing efficiently and that you haven't made some crazy change that is suddenly costing you more money. Or is there something that we should be tweaking a little bit here or there to, to make this more cost effective? So it doesn't end once you go live and you're mm-hmm. done. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's an ongoing optimization and just learning overall as, as, as expectations change too by the consumer. Right. Right. So, um, Never thought I'd see the day where I just use my phone to tap and pay everywhere I go, both, you know, in person, but then also validation for online payments and all of that. It's 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 crazy. If it, if it weren't for COVID, do you think we'd still have QR codes, let alone paying with a QR code? I, I don't I don't think I think so. it accelerated it. Oh, I yeah. Think, I think we would have gotten there eventually, but it was definitely not on the track for the years that it actually really came into play. And, and look at the amount of people who have continued to use it post right. to save money. Right. Right. I know a lot of restaurants. I was just at a restaurant the other day uh, where they still just point to the table and say, yep, there's your QR code and there's no menus to be handed out. They're and saving on printing. They're saving on the see, changes. I don't like that because then I have to like get my screen really mm-hmm. bright because I'm an old person yeah, and same dark. Here. And I got to be yeah. like, I'm like grandpa looking at my mm-hmm. phone or they do give it to me, the, the, the menu. And then I have to put the you know, flashlight on because mm-hmm. it's so dark. Oh, it's yeah. like a vanilla. It's like a manila paper mm-hmm. that blends into the dark. It's awful. It's terrible. It's terrible. I just want to give you my money. I'm luckily dinner. not at the point where I've had to increase to the large font on my phone yet. So uh, I know that's coming. But right now I, I still just, you know, squint just enough to not make it look painful. Anyways, uh, as we <laughs> as we move on from that comment, uh, let's talk about what everyone wants to know. What can they save by switching? 
Is there a, a, a you know, again, it's not going to be vanilla like we just talked about, even though I prefer triple churned. But overall, you know, there's got to be a reason for savings involved in the switching or feature set that you're now gaining if you've grown out of the maturity of the one payment processor you were and you're moving to a, a more advanced or, or uh, feature rich one. Yeah, let's start with the feature side. I think that can be really big. And that can be drastically different if you're going to something with level two, level three processing and saving you quite a bit of money. If you're using tokenization, you're adding surcharge, you're you're doing a lot of different things that maybe, you know, because, you know, Bill set it up six years ago and we haven't touched it mm -hmm. since. There's lots that has changed in that time, not only in technology, but also in the pricing. So if if we add that feature rich thing, it can be very drastic and save you a lot of time and money. The reporting can get a lot easier. So that can be very, very big in terms of a, a cultural change inside. Um, in terms of the cost, this is where I struggle because there's been times where I'll deliver a, a savings number and people are like, eh, that's it. Mm. You're like, it's 20 grand. <laughs> it's okay. So I think for me, I've come to learn that that number can be different for every business owner yeah. or CFO because, I, and I, I try not to put on like, I like that seems like money to me. Yeah. You know, but everybody in that I've seen people where they're like for 50 bucks, I'll do it. And you're like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's I think we can do better than that. You know, so it's it's interesting, I think. And it's not only that we're saving today or that savings is implied today. If you're planning to grow your business, which is a big part of you know being a business, that number is always going to grow as well because it's a percentage of what you're doing. So if today you're at a million and you're saving one percent, that is going to double when you get to two million and it's going to triple when you get to three. So it's, it's knowing that that savings is going to grow with you and that maybe it's a short, smaller amount now as an investment, but eventually as your business grows, it's going to get bigger. But to give you an idea, I mean, if we can save somebody 20 basis points, a fifth of a percent on volumes, that can really start to grow and be real money. But it's hard. And when I say every business is different, it's not me trying to dodge it. I've seen clients where an effective rate has been less than 1% because everyone paid with debit mm. and it was staggering. Interesting. And they went from like 0.85 to 0.89. They're like, Joe, what is happening? And I'm like, first of all, people would you know, murder for these numbers mm -hmm. if they had to. But I'm like, people are starting to use credit. And they're like, what do we do? And I'm like, you really can't do anything. Like yeah. it, They're just using it a credit is, card versus you know. a debit card. It is what it is. <laughs> um, but then there's people who are, you know, their effective rate is 2.75. And they're like, what can we do? I'm like, there's nothing you can do. No one uses debit in their business with you. So it's hard in that sense where people will look at things and be like, why can't it be better? And, and it can, mm -hmm. but it's understanding why are we hitting the numbers we are. I think, you know, in the B2B world, I've seen companies as low as 1.9% an effective rate, and they're incredibly clean on, you know, level two and level three. And then I've seen other clients where 2.4 is a good number. So it's, it's really having someone that we talked about that you can trust that can work through this and say, hey, here's where you are today. If you are as efficient as possible, based on the customers that you have, this is where you can get. And if somebody's like, well, I want it to be lower, I can't do that. Like, it's just, I'm not going to do it. If somebody's willing to write that contract, I'll be the first one to tell them, sign it, take it, and know that they can't change it on you because they're going to be underwater and this is not going to be real yeah. is the big thing. So, you know, but I think if you can, you know, save 20 basis points, if you're in the B2B world, anywhere from like two to 2.7 isn't horrible. Um, you know, you could do better. You could do worse. Yeah. I feel like I'm wishy-washy on that, but. Just a little bit. That's okay. Yeah. It's just so hard. Like I, I've seen such clients be so, so different. I've saved clients a full percent, which is like 60 grand a year. Mm -hmm. 
and they like wanted to talk about the Cubs. And I was like, are we, are we done? Are we, so am I getting the business? What's yeah. happening right now? Are you thrilled that we saved this? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, we're good. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. So it's amazing. I mean, any savings is usually good for a business, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a cost of implementation. So you always have to weigh that in, but overall uh, just kind of bringing us back a little bit to some numbers, right? Right. I want to talk about just where like Klarna is, for example. So I know that there were some stats that we had talked through, but Klarna had Q3 losses of around 200 million in the U.S. and double that from 2021 Q3. They were forced to tap more money from investors overall, but they expect to be profitable in the second half of 2023. I think it's just one thing for organizations to watch out for uh, with some of the third-party providers of BNPL or other payment processors who come in and promise something great, but maybe they're a startup, is there is a sense to longevity with some of this and knowing that you're in with someone who is reputable mm-hmm. and is going to be there. Uh, I think uh, one of the previous discussions we had, you talked about someone you can actually call yeah. and get support from. Well, and I think with like the BNPL, like I mean, the companies we spoke about are very big. They're very well known. But imagine if, let's say, you've got an exposure of X and that company comes out and goes, we're done. Mm-hmm. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, do you mean? what do you mean you're done? Yeah. Yeah, we're done. We're not collecting. We can't get the money. We're out. We're out of our money. We've lost enough. We're pulling the plug. And then you got to be like, all right, well, what, what do I, you know, is this just write off time? And yeah. what is what is Wall Street going to do to you if you're publicly owned? And if you're privately owned, that's also not a good thing mm-hmm. either. But I think that's and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but. You know, I'm a worst case scenario guy. You know, what if that happens? Mm-hmm. Like, what is our exposure? And I think that's the part of, you know, just being cautious of how how much of this do we want to take, um, and 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 who are we working with, and what are their fundamentals on it? Um, yeah. You know, type of a thing. But no, those numbers are interesting. Yeah, there's also a Harvard working paper that talked about uh, with BNPL. There's about an average of $130 additional increase in spending. So I just think that's also uh, a great thing to consider is by adding additional payment uh, options, doesn't just have to be BMPL, but other methods, sometimes you do see an impact to your AOV and uh, the way that you get people to actually now convert versus when you didn't offer it before. I think of it as like the Apple Pay, Google Pay, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, Apple Pay, because I'm an Apple fanboy, I profess that proudly, uh, I go in and I always will look for pay, you know, uh, pay through Apple Pay now on a site. Mm-hmm. It's just faster. It has all my info. I, I, I have a trust that it's more secure than something like a uh, Venmo or a Zelle or a PayPal or whatever any of those things are. I'd rather go through them. And it's just more convenient. Tap, done, has all my info. Right. Had bad experience of it implemented on the site the other day where it wouldn't make the transaction. Come on, come on. I don't want to have to go back to PayPal and do this. And I had to... What's my three-digit code? Yes. Is the zip code exactly this or that? Exactly. So many numbers. It's so many numbers. And so at the end of the day, though, I do think that it is interesting because to the point of where even Amazon has kind of trained us, trained us with this with regards to just buy the item individually and don't worry about adding to a full cart and then completing a full order anymore. It's just, oh, yeah, I need that. Okay, done. Purchased it's so much faster when you add some of these. So I think that's also another contributing factor is that it's lower barrier to the cart checkout where you see a bigger number where people, oh yeah, I can I can get that $80 item right. done. And then you just, it's ordered and shipping usually, you know, there's a whole different conversation we could have on shipping. But uh, overall, I think it's interesting that 
this is an area where, again, technology has advanced to the point where it makes it so easy. And then the mindset of the consumer, oh, yeah, that's a trusted source. Or to the BMPL, ah, it's a low monthly payment. I can I can do that. Right. So until, until you can't pay for it. Yeah. That's the question. Well, like, yeah. and that's where I, I that's where I look at it as these are all great. But at what point, you know, if the spigot doesn't turn off, then it's awesome. Mm hmm. But the second the spigot turns off or people can't make those payments, then yeah. then we're in trouble. So a payment area we haven't talked about that is probably way too long for what we want to do on this show today. But we'll we'll consider it for a future show. Toe in the water. Toe in the water. Toe in the water. Gift cards. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Gift cards have lots of stories behind them. Lots of fraud behind them. Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge. And I think that it is one that, you know, as you look at payment options, right, gift cards are definitely an area where... You need to be offering it if you're in a certain industry aspect of, you know, the type of products that you're you're providing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also one that I feel especially now around the holidays, I would say this for the probably the past 10, 15 years, gift cards have definitely kind of surged because no one seems to know what to get anyone anymore because most people just buy what they want. I would prefer a gift card. Yeah. See, because then I'd rather I used to screw it up. And now I'm like, no, I want you to figure out the right gift for me. So why wow, you're I mean, because you don't you an optimist. That makes you an optimist. I, 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 yeah. People, a, how well do you know Tim? Oh, trust we'll, me. We'll find out. <laughs> I will tell and people Christmas what morning. I want. So <laughs> you know, a gift card's a cop out. I told you what I wanted. Everyone listening from my family. And uh Do you provide the link? No, no, no. Okay. I say I'll buy it and you just give me the cash. No, no, no. I mean <laughs> the link, the link to the gift. Like oh, you're yes, like, this absolutely. is the link. Here, just oh, yeah, yeah. click the Because I don't want the knockoff other right. version that they find. There I want go. this okay. specific one. Absolutely, Joe. That's okay. that's the only way to go. Just check it. I don't like wish lists or anything like that because then I'm like, well, they might see other things that I I'd rather get this from them. So, you know, my well, problem is my mother completes her Christmas shopping in like June. So <laughs> if I don't get her my uh, one item I'd like, I most likely won't see it. So, um, anyways, it. I'm, uh, I'm but that, that's the bad habit then of I'll just buy it. But, uh, anyways, that's me. That's in a nutshell. You know, but I no. like to make sure that gift cards, and then here's the reason why I forget about the gift cards. And then I'll end up going to Home Depot and I'll go to Home Depot and I'm like, oh, crap, there's a gift card on my desk at home. And I didn't bring it. And I don't have a digital format of it. No. I wish that, think about that. Maybe anyone here's, who works here's for Home the, Depot, here's a billion, here's a billion dollar billion. idea. Home Depot needs the Starbucks app for the gift card edition. Just an app in your general. wallet. Just, well. <laughs> can you imagine just an app where you load up all your gift cards, you can tap the payment down mm -hmm. to like, and this is where I think you're going. We all have the gift cards. I and mean, there's like a yes. dollar and 25 cents left. You're like, ugh, exactly. the company made a buck and a quarter. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do because it's not coffee. It's yeah. Home Depot. And you're like, oh, now what? Yeah. But you can at least still get that if you have this app. So whoever does this, Tim and I mm -hmm. will take a small portion <laughs> and we will invite you to our home in the Bahamas. Um, 10 cents on the dollar. <laughs> yes. So, but I think, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's with your gift cards. It's, it's how are people using them and, and yeah. where are we going? And the reason it's coming up is that there's actually potential lawsuits for certain retailers. Yep. We're not going to say them because it hasn't happened. But it, when those get really small, how do they account for that money being mm -hmm. theirs versus the consumer? And how yeah. long does it sit? And then if you go out of business, like where does it go? Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's an interesting place. And around yeah. the holidays is huge because like we've discussed, I'm a gift card guy. You are not. Um, and, and it's understanding how that is. But it's also, be, again, being prepared 
for what is that going to be? Is it all digital? Is there yeah. any physical aspect to it? Um, you know, wh where does this go? And this, I think, especially for the e-com retailers, mm -hmm. how does that work? Yeah, I'll have to look up that stat after, but I really wonder how many gift cards are not redeemed and that total amount that's sitting out there. That's got to be a massive number. I think that that when we do this again in June yeah. and I'm inviting myself back, yeah. we'll look and see what that is. And we'll be like six months ago and you got that <laughs> gift card. You have like 60 cents left, but you're not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's like 30 billion. So we'll just do it off Joe. Joe's gift card balances. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go through it in that drawer that we all have. That What's Midwestern. the over under on it's greater than a grand? It'll be under. Come on. I'm Italian, Tim. I don't okay, let money, okay. I don't let money All sit. All right, that's true. I think there'll be more for restaurants I've never attended and Ooh, gone to. There you go. Yeah, there's that There's that money sitting yeah. there. Although there's always the ones for Ticketmaster. Do you have that problem? It's not mm. every Home Depot. It's like somebody will give us money for Ticketmaster, and I'll buy the tickets and be like, God, what the? F <laughs> I have $200 for mm -hmm. a date night that I now have to find for another date night. But mm -hmm. It's not even the date night. It's who do I want to go see? Yeah. What do I want to do? Mm -hmm. That's the hard part. Yeah. And then I got to remember in four months when I go to buy that ticket that I have a gift card somewhere mm -hmm. at the bottom of a drawer under batteries yeah. and a couple of old remotes that don't work mm -hmm. in anything in the house mm -hmm. where that is. Oh, the worst is knowing that you have it, right? So I know I have a Let Us Entertain You gift card for a couple hundred dollars. I don't know where it is. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, that digital solution. <laughs> I would have put it in right away. Seriously, that's... And, uh, you know... So all you listening, if you do gift cards, talk to the Duke and I. Yes. So, Joe, <laughs> I appreciate the time today. I think we should probably wrap up this episode before we really go completely off tangent. But I always like to make sure I ask one question, especially centered around the future. And in three years or so, because five years is just so far out nowadays, but in three years, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in payment processing and the kind of the market overall. I think we're seeing it the the, the start of it now with Apple Pay. Mm -hmm. I think a lot before when people were like, imagine buying something with your phone. And I was like, imagine my mother not trusting my her phone. <laughs> like it's generational. But I yeah. think that generation, I'm not going to say they're, they're going away, but that generation is starting to trust technology. Yeah. And the generation that would have their phone break and crack or end up in a trash or on the ground they don't have that happen anymore or it's much easier to change. So I think paying through the phone and digitally in a tokenized way is going to be even bigger. And, and, and that is a huge part of, I think people making those transactions more seamless and easier to get the buying to happen. I also think there'll be an, an aspect of data that is potentially shared among merchants to really understand who's buying their product. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've quite cracked it yet. I know Visa MasterCard has a treasure trove of it, but I think as the, you know, if you're building a site and you have a site and you really want to understand who's using your site and what they're, how they're paying and who they are, that's there, but it's not easily accessible. I think for the merchant, that'll get more accessible. And then for the consumer, it'll become infinitely easier to spend yeah. their money Wonderful. without having an actual physical wallet and mm -hmm. cash will be gone. No, we won't get that crazy. It feels like it already. I yeah. mean, honestly, I go around and I tried to pay cash somewhere the other day and they kind of like stared at me like, really? You're, you're handing me physical money? And then so. and then they asked you for the, the, the tip, the hit a tip oh, button. Oh, <laughs> the tip button's a whole episode of its own. <laughs> anyways. The virtual tip jar. Anyways, you heard it from the Duke himself. Uh, Joe, thank you for being on the show today, talking to us about payments and processing of those payments. 
BNPL, all the fun acronyms that we explored. Uh, there's more to come. So thank you for tuning into the future by listening to Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you want us to cover a specific topic or submit feedback, if you want to vote for gift cards as an episode, email us at lessonsfortomorrow at americaneagle.com and let us know. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them or watch them and to stay up to date with us because we are constantly adding new. While you're at it, give us a rating and share this podcast with others to prepare them for the future. And don't forget to follow us on social media where you may or may not find me because I sometimes and sometimes don't update it. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.